waiting for it to drop. Just wait for it. Vic Nazar is here, so he's gonna hit this. He's gonna hit this post with perfection. You ready? Wait, I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Wait, you didn't hit the post though. Well, welcome back to hour two of the Canucks Hour. I, I thought you were bringing us back. That's all I was waiting. It is uh, hour two of the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Thomas Drance, and um, now me joining the show. What's going on? Thank you. Thank you for being here. I think I think our listeners were getting a little sick of me. <laughs> How could they ever? Uh, easily, very easily. So what have I missed? Um, well, we've opened up the mailbag, and yeah, I figured I, I figured you. why don't we do. Why don't we continue? Because we've had so much engagement, yeah. so many questions. Why don't we keep digging into the mailbag here? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you manage the questions. Um, I'll, I'll I'll shoot back mm-hmm. and pick a couple of things that I say that you disagree with. We can debate in the fourth <laughs> segment. How about that? Absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, digging through the mailbag. Tons of good questions here. I'm gonna I'm gonna praise Horvat at at length just to, just to make sure you have some grist. <laughs> Uh, this one, uh, Kyle from the island. If the Canucks don't overplay Demko this year, could we see something similar to what the Newark Rangers did last year? So now that's baked into the idea of, hey, can they go to the third round, essentially? Sure. Now, if you go through, like, the style of play in New York, you know, there was a, a long stretch of time here. Canucks fans, not just media members, Canucks fans would say, Hey, can we trade for the 2023 unprotected first from the Rangers? Because what they're doing right now doesn't look entirely great. Yeah. So, I'm still I'm still on that train. Sure. So Kyle from the island, like again, that's a fine question, but I feel like you're you're asking it because the Rangers made the third round. Yeah. Whereas for large stretches of last season, and to be honest, even in the first round, it was like, yeah, that, that's why that wasn't going to work. Yeah. And again, it's it's a nice idea if they make the third round, but. To do what the Rangers did last year is also like a, a tightrope act. Well, yeah. I mean, they had horseshoes. They had horse. Their horseshoes had horseshoes. And, you know, I think they're going to be very hard-pressed to repeat, even though they got Trocek. Here's, here's the other thing about the Rangers model that you have to keep in mind. The Rangers team that entered the playoffs was not the team mm-hmm. we saw all year. And one thing Chris Drury did really well was to raise the floor of his forward depth across the board. So Vetrano was acquired for a mid-round pick, played extraordinarily well for the Rangers in the top six role. Andrew Kopp came in, pushed the kid line further down the lineup, right, where they became difference makers on on that third line. Tyler Mott, right? They basically bought an entire top nine line, Mm -hmm. you know, and – Cop ended up costing them a first round pick, but but it's because they won two rounds that 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 occurred. It was a conditional pick. If the Canucks are going to ape the Rangers, yeah, you got to manage Demko rigorously. Spencer Martin's got to be good enough that you still make the playoffs, and then you've got to completely revamp your team. And you know, a Canucks version of it would be to go out and find a couple expiring. Like it would be more like you bring in Josh Manson. Yeah, you know, like you you. It would be more defensive oriented, right? That you find a couple of rental guys relatively affordably. For me, though, with where this team's positioned, with all the business that they have to accomplish this upcoming offseason and the and the off and the next offseason thereafter, just to keep this group together, if you're giving up assets to accomplish a, you know, Chris Drury style conservative revamp in season of your defense core. 
you better win two rounds. You better win two rounds. Like, it would but, be a reckless bet. You know, because that's the other thing. You're trading futures as the New York Rangers. Well, you still have Schneider yeah, and Heedle and Kako and Lafreniere and Keandre Miller. All Zach on, Jones. Yeah, all on, right, uh, Lundqvist, right? Yeah. All, all on entry-level deals. Like, you have the depth from having looked to the future with such discipline for two, three years that you can trade some futures without it crushing you, murdering you. That's what we, we're talking about when we talk about the Canucks' mm-hmm. lack of op- uh, avenues to improve. This club can't afford to part with futures because there's nothing coming. That's the important bit of like the spirit and what Chris Drury did at the trade deadline. It's Look, it's easy to say, well, their goaltender is good. Our goaltender is going to be good. And so naturally, it's like, hey, you can make the third round. Yes, but like if you're trying to accomplish what the Rangers did, it's going to cost you a level of investment that the Canucks haven't tried to create. Whereas the right. Rangers very specifically and very obviously did. And that's the point where a lot of people say, well, well, that's the ideal rebuild. Even though they broke a lot of traditional rebuild rules, one of the things they did do was accrue all this talent that we talked about. I'm not even sure if you mentioned like Lafreniere and Heedle yeah. and all those guys. Like They had the infrastructure to say, you know what? We can burn a year of draft picks and it's fine because we've got Keandre Miller, Braden Schneider, Zach Jones, Neil Lundqvist, Adam Fox, like, when when all your core pieces and you don't deplete any of those are twenty four and under, like it's risky. Don't get me wrong. And and you made an improvement in a year where maybe it would have been just as safe to to wait a year. But it's okay because you're insulated and you're insured by your Fox and your Millers and Schneiders and, and on and on. The other argument that I'd go to is like at some point when you've got Shesterkin doing what he was doing last season, you have to think that hey, look, we've only got now. Now they're only going to have two more seasons of Shesterkin under six million. He might be a nine and a half million dollar goaltender, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, thereafter, like to some extent, you know, now 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 too going into the season, you've got Heedle at two eight expiring, right? You've got Lafreniere on the last year of his ELC. You've got Keandre Miller on the last year of his ELC. Like, the Rangers should be, even though I don't rate them, even though I still think if you could get their 2023 first-round pick unprotected, that would be a great bet. They're kind of in win-now mode right now because of how some of their those deals are, are slotted and timed, right? It's amazing how quickly you get to this. And, and you know, we, we had a question about this, about um, hometown discounts uh, a little bit earlier in the show. And I want to talk about Tampa Bay really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. The Lightning have done something really interesting. And we've, we're all now wise to it, right? I hate bridge contracts. You know I hate bridge contracts. I think we've seen proof positive just this summer about why bridge contracts are bad business, almost always, for the teams that sign them. Tampa Bay, however, has figured something out, right? And it's really vital because the line between unrestricted free agent valuations and restricted free agent valuations has blurred considerably. Players now, you know, it's not like you get a player and they're cost controlled for seven years. You draft a star player, seven years of cost control. Yay. Like, look at this window you have with your rebuild, right? It kind of doesn't work like that anymore. Like one of the reasons that you know, I think there should be more pressure on teams that are rebuilding on teams like Steve Eiserman is that, you know, Moritz Sider is two years away from being a $7 million player, right? You don't have this unlimited runway anymore with guys where they're going to be affordable to your team for five, six years. They're going to get expensive if they're good. 
almost right away, three years. Your your window is so small. And this is part of the reason, too, that I'm not, despite how people characterize my view of this team, in favor of a, of a tear-it-all-down rebuild by any means for the Canucks, considering Pedersen, Hughes, Demko's age, right? I actually think you do need to be mining value but and looking to the future, but not in a way that, you know, is is tearing it down to the studs outside of those three guys necessarily. So what Tampa Bay's done, though, is they've figured out a way in a world where cost control as a concept basically no longer exists for young players to design their own cost control framework that lasts for six years. They still don't get seven, but they get six now. And the way they do it is they have this agreement, this model with all of their players. And this started with uh, Nikita Kucherov, um, but Vasilevsky's been subject to it. Braden Point's been subject to it. And then obviously we saw over the over the course of their last three runs to the cup final, Cernak, Sorelli, and Sergeyev all be subject to, to a similar process where you get ground down and sign a bridge contract mm-hmm. for your second deal. And you're going to be working for a fraction of your actual hockey value on that on those second deals. And the day you become eligible to sign the long-term extension, they give it to you. They give it to you in good faith. And now all of a sudden you've got this arrangement, this arrangement that makes yeah. sense with their core. They've in, in in a league in which restricted free agency has broken, right? It's a broken system. It no longer favors teams, right? There is no cost control beyond the entry-level system. Entry-level deals expire. Cost control is over if the player is good. The Tampa Bay Lightning have figured out how to effectively, like, redesign or design for themselves restricted free agency with the structure of how they've done those deals. That has been a crucial competitive advantage for them as they've built a championship-caliber supporting cast around their star players. That's sort of how you have to set it up these days. And it's almost impossible to do. They There's some natural advantages. They're a contender. They're in a low-tax state, right? It's not easy to redesign that. And yet, you know, it's it's a window into some of the forces that you're contending with as a team. And for the Canucks, I think one reason why the Pedersen deal in particular um, is going to be so dicey here. Uh, 650-650, an unsigned text here. Uh, I'm going to change this question because I, I don't necessarily agree with the question, but I understand what you're trying to ask. It, it specifically asks if OEL ends up on the right side, is it possible to see him with Hughes? Rather than ask that specifically, let's ask, are there any left-handed candidates on this team that can play on the right side? Sorry, so lefty defenders on this yeah. team who can play the right side. Dermot and OEL, I would expect to see both of them play some right side minutes this upcoming season. OEL? Yeah, oh yeah. I man, like that that element is real concerning to me. He's done it before. Yeah, they're, they're confident that he can do it. He's done it years ago. Yeah, I, I hear. I hear he's been working on it a bit. So we'll see. I I, I legitimately mm-hmm. would not be shocked at all if we show up to Canucks training camp and they roll out Hughes Ekman Larson. I won't be stunned at all. Here's here's the other thing to keep in mind is you're never going to get. $7.26 million worth mm-hmm. of value out of Ekman-Larsen if he's a shutdown guy. You know, if he's used the way he was last season, right, you're minimizing what he can bring to your team. Like, Ekman-Larsen needs to be cast as more of a, in more of an offensive role. And how do you accomplish that without, you know, 
blowing up a, a super efficient power play, right? Because you can't, you don't want to play two defensemen on the power play, right? You just don't. It just doesn't work, you, especially with how well calibrated Vancouver's first unit is. There's no path outside of a Hughes injury to Ekman Larson being on the first power play unit, in my view. So you need to find a way to get him into more offensive positions. How do you do that aside from playing him with Quinn Hughes, where all of a sudden, you know, he's he's like a one-timer option twice every shift that he takes that to me is that to me is something I I like I I'm not saying we're for sure going to see it but I'm expecting to see it at this point I'm just not convinced that's getting the most out of Oliver Ekman Larson it's like it's putting him in in such a prime opportunity but is he going to have enough production like like where's the secondary production going to come from then because the 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 benefit of having OEL when he played uh, games where Quinn Hughes was out it's like okay he can produce offensively to me, the, the the proper order then is to like, yeah, let Quinn Hughes keep being Quinn Hughes and then find someone that lets OEL be more like playing to his strengths. Right. I, it's just how do you find, like, first you have to find the right-handed defenseman to pair with Hughes and then you have to find the right-handed defender to mm-hmm. play. Like, they don't have those players on the roster. You know, and at the end of the day, who's a better bet for you in top four minutes next season? Are you more comfortable with a Dermot Myers second pair or with Shen back in the top four? Oh, I'd rather have Shen back in the top four. Would you? Yeah. Ooh, like, I don't know. 100%. Yeah, see, I don't know. I think I think there's a world where if you are able to go Hughes, Ekman, Larson, Dermot Myers, and uh, Rathbone, Shen, that's probably the best, in my view anyway, your best chance of having a, at least an average performing defense score. Uh, 650, 650, someone following up on uh, the Tampa Bay conversation says, won't that screw them down the road by having so many large contracts? Well, here's the people that they've bet on then. It's Nikita Kucherov, Hart, Braden Point, stud in the playoffs, and stud in general. They bet on Victor Hedman, Norris, and yeah, just awesome. Best defenseman Mikhail Sergachev. It's like, that's the one where it's like, okay, maybe you made a bet too soon, but even then, it's like, he's still really incredible. But also, the cost of it was that you had him at 4.4, yes. right? And you've I been mean, rewarded in doing so by winning two Stanley Cups. And, and look at the other class of defensemen, you know, coming out of sort of uh, Sergachev's group or, or peers, right? I mean, Sergachev's peer group includes like Chikorin, who cost a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, McAvoy, who signed the bridge, but then got paid significantly and and is a better player, right? Materially better. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about the Haskinen, McCarr, Hughes group where all of their AAVs are seven plus, right? They had, they had Kucherov under four and a half or sorry, Sergeyev under four and a half for three years during which they made the final three times. Uh, 4.8. Like, 4.8. Okay. But nevertheless, five. it's like that contract doesn't kick in for another year. Yeah. And this idea is like, oh, well, th- that's going to be a problem eventually. Yeah, look, there's going to be a stage where Kucherov's 34, and it's like, okay, but you've won multiple cups. Like, I, I think we, like, also the ignore, Tampa like, yeah. how important one freaking championship is. Like, who cares what happens six years down the road when you win one championship? It's such a big deal. The Tampa Bay Lightning have been in a position where they're in trouble every year. I yes. mean, I mean, there's a number of really good players that they've lost for nothing or cents on the dollar. Uh, Yan Gord, JT Miller, Blake Coleman, just since 2019. Andre Plot. On- they've, they've, yeah. they've done the thing that, like, you're supposed to do. Like, spend all your time finding superstars and, like, commit everything you can. And everything else is, like, parachute away. It's, yeah. It's not a problem. 
and we can talk about all these guys that they've lost. They've lost Tyler Johnson and on and on. You know who they retain? Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, Hedman, Sergachev, Vasilevsky, Sorelli. Like yeah. stars in their positions and in their roles. Yep. And and look, the bill comes due for everybody eventually. Yeah. But Tampa Bay is still going to be an elite team next year. But like, how much do you run it up and and? Enjoy the party until the bill comes due. You, you, They're enjoying it quite a bit. You 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 run it up until you have a hundred and fifty thousand dollar receipt because yeah. you've been you know getting the type of bottle service that comes with squirt guns, <laughs> right? Like super soaker bottles of Moe, you know, just like shot right directly into your mouth. I mean, that's that's where the Tampa Bay Lightning are. Champagne problems through and through. Yeah, keep keep spending, keep keep doing it. Like as long as your team is winning playoff rounds, as long as you're in the mix. With a shot at winning a cup next year, which, by the way, they are for sure. For sure, Tampa Bay could win the cup next year. Keep going. Keep going. When you're in that mix, keep going. And when you're not in that mix, do everything you can to get there. Uh, did you earlier call uh, Vancouver a bottom five? Because I've heard you say I did. This, Okay. So Dorn from Cumberland wants to know, which of these four teams would you rank above Vancouver's defense? I'll give you the four teams right here. Okay. Phoenix, Montreal, Seattle. Not Phoenix or Montreal. <laughs> okay. Uh, Seattle? Yeah. Uh, Ottawa? Okay. Are they above? I think Ottawa is a really good analogy for where the Canucks are because you've got Shabbat and Hughes, mm-hmm. right? And then you've got Zub. I think Zub's the third best defenseman on either team. Uh, all right. Detroit? Detroit. I will take Detroit's defense core in a heartbeat over Vancouver's. Uh, Philly? I, I mean, I think there's an argument for Philly, too. They're overpriced, though. That's the problem. But, like, Provorov... Ryan Ellis, if you know, if he's healthy, yeah, um, um, and then like, who do the Canucks have that's um, that's an analog, an, an analogous quality player to the? I mean, Myers and Ristolainen can't uh, like. Yeah, Myers and Ristolainen are the same player, but Anthony yeah. D'Angelo cancel each other. Anthony out. D'Angelo, and then and then here's the big one: Travis Sanheim. Like mm-hmm. the Canucks don't have anyone close to a Travis Sanheim quality second pair guy. So yeah, I mean, I'd pick Philly ahead of Vancouver. Uh, what was the other team here? Uh, San Jose. San Jose. Again, know, that was mostly just like overinflated contracts, but like Brent Burns. Is gone now. But like it, last year, like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I he, mean. He was still productive. It just totally. like, it, it, it's not worth the money anymore. That's no. The only problem. And, and I mean, Vlasic's similarly mm-hmm. not even close to being worth the number. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know what? I probably do take Vancouver ahead of San Jose. They probably go into the. Group below, but Mario Ferrario's Ferraro's really good. I liked the Matt Benning signing for them, and Eric. They still have Eric Carlson, yeah. so I, I, you know, arguable. I think I think it's arguable, but I'd put it, I'd it, put Vancouver ahead of San Jose. It's the same thing that the, that it comes down to a lot. It's like, hey, a lot of these teams are just grouped in the same tier, correct? And now you're just like you're 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 force feeding rankings for each different perspective. How you value thing is going to be different for totally. how Doran and Cumberland values it. And they're all in the same tier, well, but, then, but, but then like, someone, it's like you got to listen. It's like, okay, but they're all pretty much the same. And then someone brings up Anaheim, and it's like Fowler, Shattenkirk, Drysdale. I have a ton of time for Mahura, and then Zellweger, I think, is going to play for them next year. And boom, there you go. I think they're going to be every bit as good, if not better, than the Canucks defense score. Uh, 650, 650. Keep getting into your questions. Uh, it's, it's a fun way to end uh, the season for Canucks Hour. Yeah, it is. I love it. Uh, lots of lots of engagement, lots of people mad. Uh, what do you think PD's ceiling is next season? Do you think forty goals is realistic? I I I do. I think forty goals is health more is like everything. Yeah, everything for sure. Um, 
at some point, I. It's interesting with young men, right? Because when I first covered PD, the first year that I covered PD, 2019-20, I remember I, co- I go into training camp in Victoria. It was the first time I met Ubik. And, do you rem- I mean, he just lapped the field in the, in, the, in the 40s bag skate, right? Like, just crushed everybody. And then he was scoring all those highlight reel goals in the scrimmage. And there was just this aura, this way that he was carrying himself, where it was so clear that he wanted to put his stamp on this team. He was like, "I, this is my team now. And then he came out and was one of the best two-way forwards in the sport. And then we saw in the bubble, he came in in great shape. He battled, like, wild, right? And he was, like, he was changing games at the net front, like, as the guy battling at the net front. Like, there was this will to him. That just stunned me. I was shocked by. It. I thought this guy has a core of steel that's going to carry this franchise. This is incredible. And somewhere along the lines, the last couple of years, I've seen a different person. And I'm not talking about him as a player. I'm talking. I've seen a different person in terms of how he carries himself at practice, um, how he carries himself in games, the body language. Just like it, it feels like he lost some of that edge a little bit. But here's the thing about young men, right? If you've got something in you, I think that's what's true to who you are, right? Like, I think Pedersen, what's what's true to Pedersen is that he's a super competitive guy who loves to win and thinks the game at an incomparably high level. And I think as he's grown up, as the pressure has gone up, as the environment has been far from optimal around him, um, he's maybe gotten away a little bit from some of what made him really special from a competitor standpoint. And yet I believe that that part of him is who he is in reality. I I think young men try on different looks, you know, like you, you try out different personalities, you try out different things, you sort of experiment with who you are, you find who you are. And at the end of the day, you come back to what's true to you at your core. And I think what's true to Pedersen at his core is what we saw in 2019-20. I think we'll see it again. I hope we'll see it again this season. Um, We need to. Like, this team will only go as far as their best players are able to take them. I think we'll see Pedersen get back there this year, but he needs to get back there if this team's going to do anything. Uh, 650-650, we got some questions about... uh... What your summer plans are going to be? Some, you know, some more personal questions. We'll, we'll try to get some of those as we wrap up uh, Canucks Hour this season. Bick Nazar and Thomas Drance here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty. Knock knock. Final hour, final segment of Canucks Hour for the 2021-2022 Vancouver Canucks season. Vic Nazar filling in for Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance from The Athletic in Vancouver for the final segment here on the Canucks Hour. The, the final segment of the 2021-22 season for the Canucks Hour. Thank you for helping us get through it. And thank you to everyone who listened throughout this year. It was a ton of yeah, fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, big shout out to everyone. Uh, 650-650. Uh, continuing on with the mailbag, people want to know what you're uh, going on uh, this summer. For the rest of the summer, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going. Uh, I'm going to a cottage. First of all, I'll still be writing at the Athletic. Mm-hmm. So uh, whenever Canucks news breaks, or even when it doesn't, I'll be you know writing a few times a week at the Athletic. Uh, so so catch me there and make sure to subscribe. Join the VIPs. Um, beyond that, in August, I'm going to 
head down to the States with some friends uh, to a cottage uh, the first weekend. And then... Lake Country. Lake Country. I'm probably going to get back down to California. I'll probably go to California for a week or two. And then right before Young Stars, I'll go and spend at least 10 days up in the Okanagan prior to the tournament. Um, Just because, you know, I love wine country. I love the lakes. So that'll be great. And then it's a short commute. Exactly. I'll be. I'll already be there. I'll. I'll just all of a sudden start expensing wherever I'm staying, <laughs> which is the dream. That's, that's the ticket. That's yeah, the move. That's the key. So go up there, and then all of a sudden one day it's like, oh, I'm working now. Boom. Not paying anymore. Love it. Uh, six fifty. Six fifty. You can keep coming in with your questions. Um, I just lost one that I wanted to uh, drop here. Uh, who's better? This one's from Garrett. Eichel or Pedersen? I look. I I understand why people are going to ask that question. It's Eichel. It, it's it's Jack Eichel. I think we're going to see a totally different Jack Eichel next year. Yeah. I mean, that was a really significant surgery, and he was still really good on the power play. But we didn't really see the same five on five game from him. Mm-hmm. I bet you we see a totally different player next year. I still think Jack Eichel is one of the most imposing individual talents in hockey. I, I would say if if you're saying like the top top tier of NHL centers is. Six deep, okay. And you want to put Eichel in that next tier? He's he's the top of that tier, and it's like the guy that's like, we we just want to see it on a real yeah. good team, and he'll bust into that top tier. Whereas Elias Pettersson, if you if if you're asking that question, you probably have them in the same group, but Elias Pettersson would be at the low end of that tier. I think in both cases, in both cases, we're also to some extent projecting. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. So it's like. There's, like, I think both could get into a top five tier, to be totally honest with you. I think Pedersen has that type of ceiling, mm-hmm. uh, especially as his two-way game rounds out. And I know we ha- we had a question earlier in the mailbag that I didn't get to, which was about Pedersen's face-off percentage. Can he be a full-time centerman? Um, if you look at the second half of, of last season, his face-off percentage was actually solid. There right? was a three-month stretch there from, like, right when Boudreaux took over to, yeah. I think, March. Yeah. Where it was, like, 52%. Right. Which which you don't have to be. No. You know, like, the thing about face-offs is, who was the coach that said, had the great quote in the playoffs? I think it was, um, I think it was John Cooper. Uh, All face-offs matter until they don't. Mm-hmm. Right? It, 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 you don't need to be a 53% face-off guy to be an effective NHL centerman. You just have to be over 45%. You just have to not kill your team. You, you know, like you just have to be at a level where it doesn't hurt you. Um, Pedersen's already there. He's, he's already there. So I'm not worried at all about his faceoff percentage. I just think that there's another, there's another level he's going to be able to get to in my view as a two way player. And I think we saw signs of it last year with his work on the penalty kill. He's just so disruptive and he's so good at anticipating plays and breaking up plays. Um, you know, his two-way ability, I think he's a smarter player overall than Jack Eichel. But at the end of the day, Jack Eichel's got, what, 40 pounds on him and, mm-hmm. and three inches of height. And as a result, what Jack Eichel can do when he's at his you know physically assertive best and fully healthy and fully recovered from a you know really complicated back surgery, um, you know, I, I think is is at a different sort of level. So we're going to see, I bet you, I bet you both are top two, top 10 centermen next year, but I still think you have to give the nod to Eichel at this point. There's a real easy way to look at this too, is Jack Eichel on a completely anonymous team, just like put up 80 points, just like ho-hum. And 
on a good team, like what does Jack Eichel at his peak look like? And yes, there's defensive value to a lot of what Elias Pettersson can do, and that's exciting. But like, there's a world that does exist where Jack Eichel is like a 105 point player. Oh, absolutely. And we talk about like what the world exists for Elias Pettersson. It's like a 105 point value. Right. Exactly. That's a, like, good, that's a good. That's a, a good way of looking. It's at like it. you can get 80 points and then you can protect 20. Well, it's the Wes Walls thing, right? The yeah. Jacques Lemaire had the, had the quote about Wes Walls. Like, he gets me 40 points, but he prevents 40 goals. Mm-hmm. So he's an 80-point center. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and uh, I always loved that formulation. Um, so I think that's a good that's a good way of framing it. Uh, keep coming in with your uh, questions. 650, 650. Uh, Todd the Planner. If everyone is seeking cap space in youth, then aren't you setting yourself up to lose value if you join that competition? Wouldn't the greatest value in JT move come from trying to move him for top talent in a position of need at a similarly high cap hip topped with a draft pick? That's from Todd the Planner. I love that take. I love that take in general, but I also think it's part of why the Mikhaev signing leaves me cold a little bit, even though I really like the player, is like, are you better off signing Mikhaev at four times 4.75 or are you better off getting paid, say a second round pick to take on Jason Zucker's contract? Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then first of all, he adds speed to your team. If he's healthy, probably more productive than Mikhaev for you next season. And you can flip him with retention at the trade deadline and get another pick back. And then you have cap space the next season. Now, if you believe that Mikhaev's speed was just absolutely essential for this group. The Canucks obviously do. Um, fair enough. But there's ways to have used that cap space to get paid twice. And that's sort of the test for me. Like, that's what I think this Canucks team needs to lean into doing. Or alternatively, you know, you want to you capture a defenseman with cap space? You want to rebuild this defense core? Erhoff, Devon Taves, Nick Letty, Johnny Boychuk. These are just four examples from the last 10 years. Uh, Well, I guess 13 years in in Airhoff's case. But (laughs) teams... Time catches up on you fast. No kidding. Teams held cap space till late in the offseason. And then when a team needed to make a move to, you know, effectively be compliant, those teams were there with draft picks and or prospects and or nothing at all to capture those players. Like that to me is is sort of the other opportunity cost of the Mikhaev uh, contract, the Canucks can no longer play in that sort of deep end of the pool. And and for me, that's sort of like, how do you improve the defense score? You can't do it. You cannot do it without without weaponry of draft picks and cap space. That's I've, my view. I've posed this to uh, Randeep and Jamie before on the People Show. When we're talking about, you know, JT Miller as an asset, if you were to just like build out the hierarchy of the NHL right now, I feel like people think that like this is a top 30 asset. And it's like, oh, you're going to get brand new flush talent that's, that's equivalent to JT Miller putting up 99-point seasons. And realistically, for me, it's like he's kind of a top 75 asset. Interesting. I, I, I mean, I don't think you're wrong because clearly the market hasn't bared right. what the Canucks wanted it to. I mean, look how quickly the, the Makachuk stuff flipped. Well, and and, and, and the- Makachuk for me would be like a top... And Dubois, fifteen, and Shifley. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if you were to just like make a list, the, the old like Bill Simmons trade list kind of thing, and you slot everyone in because contract and age and all that stuff matters. Like, yeah, it's like I, I would understand why people are waiting out Pierre Luc Dubois 
to then go after JT Miller. Yeah. Like, and that's why I talk about sequencing in Domino so much because there is a list. There is the guy that everyone wants to try for. And sometimes, look, somebody says, well, I do like JT Miller for, for what I'm trying to do with my team right now. But if, if everyone operated from the same mindset and you just made a list, it does bear reasoning to that, like, Pierre-Luc Dubois would go before JT Miller. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point, especially, like, there was a lot of debate about Tyler Myers having positive trade value, right? And, and you know, I think he does after this season to some extent. And yet, in a world where Ryan McDonough is free, right, what are you realistically hoping to net for Tyler Myers? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you, can't, you can't be hoping for much. And, and so... You know, that's sort of, I think, where the Canucks are bumping into issues across the board. You know, in a world where Nino Niederreiter is two times four million, what does that mean for Connor Garland's trade value, right? In a world where Evan Rodriguez is still available, and I don't really think that some of these guys are still available, by the way. You might look at the UFA list on Cap Friendly, but I wouldn't be shocked. You know how uh, the New York Islanders like to sign guys but not register the deals? <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if there's a, a, a top UFA or two that... that Lou Lamorello's already got in his back pocket here. Well, let's ask about one of those guys. Uh, Amro, the actor, says, how is the race for John Klingberg, and does this roster look different well, I don't with think him it's on the blue line to make the playoffs? <laughs> no, I'm just saying like another guy that's that, the, the, that's on the sideline right now. Um, I look, thought Klingberg had a really bad year last year. But the, this idea that like Klingberg would end up here. Oh, I mean, like, I, I, I'm, I don't hate that move, but you'd have to clear sing- one of those big defense con- defensive contracts, right? Yeah. I don't I don't I don't really think you want to add 6 million to a defense core that's not good and already costs 26 million. Like I just don't think you want to do that. That doesn't make sense to me. Right? Yeah, you like you're going to have to do so much work to just try to fit that in. And even that it's like, well, we just cleared up the room to have the same thing we're doing right now. But also then the pieces don't really fit. You know, mm-hmm. that's the other that's the other issue you bump into. Like Klingberg is not a Quinn Hughes caddy, right? Klingberg is a offensive defenseman he's a pp1 guy so he's kind of got a bit of a redundant skill set with quinn hughes and his defensive game fell off a little bit last year like i view john klingberg as a as a horse and yet last year i was left pretty cold by his overall performance i don't think the industry disagrees with that by the way so you know you sort of get into this moment where it's like okay if you get john klingberg can he play with quinn hughes probably not well can he play with oliver ekman larson sure okay then can you play Myers with Hughes? Probably not. And and so it just doesn't fit. Like it just, I just don't think the Klingberg fit is there for Vancouver. And I think to commit cap space in that manner, considering where this team is at in their life cycle, um, you know, I, like it's the same argument. Like Mikhaev's a far more, uh, Mikhaev's a piece that fits far better with what this club needs and, and wants to do uh, than Klingberg for me. And I even look at that contract and think, Boy, the opportunity cost there. I like the player, but the opportunity cost there is probably, you know, outside uh, my tolerance. Uh, I like this one. Uh, this is uh, Andrew and Poco. Does Patterson need a sniper or a playmaking engine to maximize his who? tools and skills? Like, who fits well with Patterson? I think everybody except Tanner Pearson. Mm-hmm. I think, and, and honestly, Ilya Mikhaev, I don't think that's going to work. I think so long as you can play an East-West game with some degree of intelligence, mm-hmm. you can play with Elias Patterson. I mean, we've seen him play really well with JT Miller. I wouldn't say they have chemistry, but they've played well together in the past. We've seen him play really well with Brock Besser. We've seen him play really well with uh, Vasily Podkolzin. We've seen him play really well with Nils Holglander. Um When he's played on the wing, we've seen him play really well with Bo Horvat. That's a pretty sharp contrast of, of styles right there. 
Um, I think Connor Garland. I liked Connor Garland with him. I don't know that they loved it, the team, I mean, but I thought that Connor Garland's passing ability complemented, excuse me, complemented Pedersen really well. So, you know, I think Pedersen's a good enough playmaker to be a setup guy for a player like Horvat. I think he's a good enough sniper to be um, the recipient uh, of, uh, of passes from a playmaking winger. I think you just need to be able to be a little bit creative East-West to, to play with him, uh, which is why I don't like Pearson Mikhaev, uh as options for him. And I, I'm really curious to see, too, what a guy like Kuzmenko can do. So mm-hmm. Kuzmenko's a guy who plays his off wing on the left side but is a right-handed guy. Um, you know, I don't know what Kuzmenko is, right? Like, I don't know what Kuzmenko is at the NHL level. There's... Some like, real some real speed concerns. That's gonna be sp- the fun one to look at at training camp. Just like okay, a you just gonna see the guy live, but just b it's like how do you work with the other guys that like are NHL players? He's not very fast, and I think there were some teams concerned about whether or not he had NHL fitness levels. Right, like some of the teams that didn't bid on him didn't bid on him because of a lack of wheels and concerns about the fitness level. So if Kuzmenko comes into camp and is in really good shape and looks like an NHL player, his skill set as a, a pass-first lefty who's like genuinely talented on the international ice surface at threading passes through defenders, finding teammates, right? He's he's a better playmaker than he is shooter. He's a good shooter too, but he's a better playmaker than he is shooter. And in particular, he's got a big enough body to play in dirty areas of the ice, right? Like he's a net front guy on the he's, power play. He's, he's that nice uh, stocky. Yeah, stop. Right? It, right. Yeah. He's, it's he's, like you can be short. If, if like we get caught up, and he's like, not short, height. but he's no, no. But like if 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 you're he like, looks a lot bigger than he is. Yes, but but when you're stocky, like like Cole yeah. Caulfield's short, but he's like stocky. Yeah, and so it's fine. It's like you can get away with it. You can your contact balance is fine. You can still get your shot off. Other guys, it's like they can be short, but they're also thin. This is definitely not a Nikolai Goldobin situation. This <laughs> right. guy's a big body yeah. playmaker, but he's a big body playmaker who, in the KHL level, anyway spent a lot of time around the perimeter. Um, that's going to be a really interesting one because in my mind's eye anyway, the idea of a guy who lives in dirty areas, can finish, but is primarily a distributor and happens to be right-handed, that to me feels like a really interesting potential running mate for for Pedersen, especially if you're able to do something like, you know, I, the, the question then is though is like, are you comfortable with it being Besser mm-hmm. or do you need some speed on that line? I I'd, like for me it's like the the Pedersen put Colson combo. It's like yeah. if you're if you're making duos. So Pedersen with Pod Colson on the right side and Kuzmenko on the left yeah. side. Yeah. I I don't hate that. I I'd, mm-hmm. I'd love to see it, but I think if you're giving that a look, that's your third line to open the year. Probably, yeah. Right? Because because I don't know how much you're going to trust a rookie in Kuzmenko and a sophomore in Pod Colson in in matchup quality minutes. So that to me would be your third line with Horvat playing with like Pearson Mikhaev and then Miller playing with what Besser and what left wing do we have left Garland? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Oglander, if you want to flip them and on and on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, the, and that's sort of the other thing that you get into really quickly is it's hard to make these Canucks forward pieces really fit. Like if you try and design lines, I find that no matter who you put Garland with, I don't like it. I can't I, like I love Garland as a player, but I can't pencil him in to this depth chart in a way that makes me be like, yes, you know, maybe it's is it Kuzmenko, Pedersen, Garland is your third line, and then Horvat, Podkolzin, Mikhaev, mm-hmm. Pearson, Miller, Besser, 
is that it? Like that might be it, but I don't love Garland with Pedersen. So uh, I like questions like this. Uh, can the Canucks get into a three-way trade scenario involving Kachuk? Uh, How can, they don't have cap space? But, but hang on. Like how can we see any team get into three-way trade scenarios? If like, you have I, cap space, I, I love it's really idea. easy. It's really easy. Do you Ooh. want a gently used, um, you know, Tarasenko? Are you a team that Tory Krug is interested in waving for? Right, like that, that's not Calgary. I mean, it's easy if you have cap space and meet those criteria to to be the third team to help facilitate a Kachuk trade. But the Canucks are not positioned to be that team. They don't have cap space. We also just don't see it with enough regularity in the off season. It's true. Like, it's true. Only only Steve Eiserman ever does it. Yeah. Going up to the deadline, yeah, okay, some teams get creative, and it's like this to this, and okay, we see it. In the offseason, everyone just tries to do, like, cookie cutter. It's like, well, how can I make it work for you? It's like, well, the opportunity of what you guys executed at the deadline still exists in the offseason. Totally. It's a really good point. I, I, you know, if you have cap space, again, if you have cap space, you can get into that market. No, straight up. Like, if you have cap space and you want to get into that market, you can get into that market. Uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in a world but the Canucks can't. where you have to make a JT Miller signing. Okay. Um, someone wants to know what number in turn would you actually be comfortable signing Miller at? I mean, I don't think it makes sense for the Canucks. Period. Right. I want to. Sure. I want to come I, out I, and say this. I, I'm very specifically putting you in a world where yeah. he does get signed. Okay. So in a world where he does get signed, and I'm I'm looking to sign a contract that I think the team can win with. Mm-hmm. Stuff seven and a half. Times five. Okay, so that is uh, thirty-seven and a half million dollars. Yeah, that was some quick math on my part. I didn't even break out the. the yeah, I, I mean, you got it. Uh, yeah, I don't think that gets it done from no. Miller's perspective. I, I don't think, it's and I don't think it makes sense for the Canucks. Mm-hmm. But you know, got into my head. What's a compromise deal that I'd at least be like? Uh, mm-hmm. I guess I can move this or like figure it out later. So the person, I just, that- I just don't see how are you? How are you? How are you ever getting better? How are you ever getting better if you extend both Horvat and Miller? Well, that was the other question uh, someone posed as well. It's, you know, we thought came into the summer of extending. Uh, okay, here it is. Uh, from Rager, a lot of talk we had over the last month has been they can't sign both Horvat and Miller. What has to happen? Or sorry, what has happened to that? And can we still sign them both? Or does one of them still have to go? It, it's It's... Look, you can do it, but to your point, it's like then this is your team. I just don't see how you're ever shedding salary mm-hmm. if you do like you know. And I, I went on, I went on about this at the at the outset um, in my soliloquy, but it's like with Mikhaev. Were you at a soliloquy? Like you labeled it a soliloquy? Oh yeah, well, after the fact. You spoke oh, okay. in old English the entire time. Oh, <laughs> wonderful! If thou must est sign J T. Miller, yeah. and dost thou knowest thy Canucks lines? <laughs> Was um, it in cursive? No, no, no. It was just me talking for 30 minutes. Anyway. Right now, with the way the club is positioned, you have about $60 million committed next offseason. $60 million already committed with Mikhaev and Lazar. Now, now done. And Dickinson presumably not bought out or moved, right? Conservatively. Let's go conservative, right? By the way, you mean the 23 season, not next, next summer. Next summer. Yeah, next summer. Next summer, you have, you'd have $60 million committed. Yeah. Conservatively, let's project Miller and Horvat at fifteen, right? Seven and a half each. Okay, that's low. They're mm-hmm. going to come in probably higher than that, but let's go. Let's go with that. That leaves you eight and a half, eight and a half with Kuzmenko, Hoaglander, Dermot as your sort of key RFAs. Well, you know, my whole logic is in a world where this team performs well enough, 
that you actually want to keep the group together, right? You also cheap. you also have to assume that at least one of Kuzmenko or Hoaglander breaks out, right? Like, is this team reaching its potential without one of those guys being a 40, 45-point guy? No chance, right? No chance. If both guys are cheap after this season, you haven't made the playoffs and you're not keeping the group together, right? If you're keeping the group together, it means at least one of them hit. Mm-hmm. So you have eight and a half. That's it. That's it. Like, you have to, again, trade from your arsenal of not valuable picks to clear the cap space required to upgrade the blue line. Like, you're, you're stuck. You're stuck if you sign both guys. That's my, that's my issue. Like, how do you ever build a championship-quality supporting cast around this core group if you keep both guys? I just don't see it. I just don't understand how it's possible. That, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's my view. I just... And look, maybe they'll find the trade that shed salary at this point in the offseason. Maybe they'll find it in season, right? I'm not saying that this is like cast in stone. I just think having not done so to this point is a very bad indication for the club's ability to do it at all. And without finding those deals, without finding those cap savings, you're limited in your avenues to improve, which is why, again, I'm deeply skeptical of the fact that the club not not only couldn't carve out additional cap flexibility, but committed (laughs) additional cap space to a pair of players who played bottom six roles on very good teams last year. That's it. Boom. One minute to go here on Connects Hour. Uh, One minute. We're we're emptying the tank. We're done? We're done. Uh, It's now the point where, like, you cleared the zone and the puck's on the other end, and now, like, the gloves are being thrown off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you shouldn't get on the ice just yet, but whatever. No no one's going to call it. No no too many men. No one's going to call it. Well, thank you to everybody for sticking with us this year. Um, It was a lot of fun. Like, Mm -hmm. I really had a lot of fun. It wasn't the most... You know, we we didn't have a lot to celebrate over the course of the season, but it was, you know, that's part of what Canucks fandom is, right? Like, at the end of the day, supporting this team doesn't mean that you're relying on good times. <laughs> what 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 it really means is that you get to share your misery with, with people, with, with other fans, with other people in this city, with other people who love the sport, who love the game, who've enjoyed watching this team over the years. And I, I feel like that's what we got to do this year. Uh, and it was a it was a blast for me. I know it was a blast for Jamie. It's too bad he couldn't be here for the last show, but thank you to everyone who stuck with us, commiserating, as Canucks fans do, with the Canucks Hour here at Sportsnet 650. We are out of here. People show myself Israel Fair up in a minute here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.